Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Oh, here we go, boys. Go. Love that sound. This is a good one. Did I see you were in what? What was it, Net Lake? Net Lake. Yep. So I, I'm like, where is Net Lake at? So I had to look that up. Man, you are at the end of the road up there. <laughs> literally at the end of the road yeah yeah that's where i work i mean i'm i'm living i live on uh right now i'm staying right on pelican closer to ore um but really what i'm trying to do with this uh fishing show is i just i just got the job here as development manager um mm-hmm. originally wasn't going to even be on the air at all um it was more like sales and just developing programs and grant writing and you know basically bringing money into this was going to be my focus which is my focus so i thought well i need to drive some traffic through here and it's pretty small you know uh, station and pretty much serving cook and ore we're going to be boosting our our radio um antenna eventually we're getting a new antenna it's supposed to cover a much larger area but i was like well that's that's thinking too small i want to reach the internet's a thing now. It's been a thing now for quite a while. We don't have to be restricted by where our radio signal goes. We got all these people in the Twin Cities that travel up north. Let's tap into that. I can lean on my podcast network that I've built a little bit, and uh, you know, try to bring some traffic online. Is kind of what I want. You know, bring people through our app. They listen online. That's kind of what I really want this uh, fishing show to do. And then hopefully bring in some bigger advertisements advertisers or sponsors that's kind of that's my big picture for the radio station but no no i under, i understand well that's why i started doing fishing reports like you know nobody else is doing a fishing report right like, that really? seems easy enough why Used don't i to... just do a fishing report and it sounds like uh, you're thinking the same thing yeah, on, I mean, it on used a to certain be... scale too yeah i mean it, the fishing report especially radio wise you know it kind of used to be a thing you know um yeah back in the day and maybe people just got so used to going to you know fishing minnesota facebook page or something like that to get, well, to get a report but he, you know that that stuff tends to come around full circle because right. you need to get here <laughs> i don't know if you've ever tried much for do-it-yourself stuff but if you ever <laughs> tried working on your car doing something simple and you go online and try to look for an answer <laughs> right the the answer is in a sea of bs is so. that that's also true that is also a true statement so you know if, if you get a few guys together who give a decent report which is accurate and you know reliable 
well, all of a sudden you're going to be, you're distilling it down and people are going to come to rely on you instead of looking at fishing Minnesota and having guys, you know, shoving Billy rub down their throat 10 well, times yeah. a day. And, and it still is, <laughs> and it's still convenient, right? It's, it still has the same convenience of, of going to a Facebook page, you know, and I'll post links on those groups as long as they let me and don't ban me or kick me out or whatever. I don't, oh, I'm yeah. not going to spam them, but, um, you know, I'll put it out there. Just, you got to get the word out there that this thing even exists. Right. Yep. I mean, and, and that word of mouth, it, it happens slowly. If I've learned anything with this podcast is it, you're not going to be an overnight success. I've been doing this for <laughs> close to four years, um, putting out, you know, multiple episodes a week. And I would say, just like this past year, I've you know kind of seen the growth and kind of feel like I'm fairly established at least in the Minnesota area, maybe Minnesota, Wisconsin kind of area. So, um, funny, kind of a funny story. I text, I went to text you today to see if you know we're still on or whatever, and I get a text back says, "Well, I'm not Ryan, but I love fishing." And I'd love to be on a podcast someday. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, crap. And I looked at the number again. I had one number off. I was like, oh, boy. I said, you know oh, what? I yeah. might just have to have you on anyways just because I think it would be hilarious. Like, <laughs> And uh, this guy's on because of this. Cause... You should put him on without telling him he's on. <laughs> well, I already kind of <laughs> cracked that egg, but uh, I did. It was it was pretty funny, and he said he's actually listened to the podcast. So I was like, "That's pretty awesome." As a random that random is. encounter, to then hear somebody that knew about full scale outdoors, I was like, "That's pretty cool." That's you know, not that I'm trying to achieve uh, any fame per se. This was kind of had a background in radio many many years ago, and I just thought I just felt like I wanted to start a podcast. You know, as they were starting to get more and more popular, and now it seems like everybody and their brother has one. Um, yeah it it does i i hear what you're saying i don't know much about them i I guess i don't really watch or follow any of them but i see a lot of them advertised or a lot of posts on social media about them so it, it does seem like a lot of them have sprouted up i'm a big consumer of them myself you know which is kind of like why i went and started mm-hmm. my own you know i heard it actually was a couple podcasts that I was listening to, outdoor-based podcasts, that I was like, I just didn't think they were that good. And I, w- I won't say their name because I don't really yeah. – I don't like throwing people under the bus or throwing shade at people. But, I was, you know, that was kind of thing. I was already kind of thinking I wanted to get maybe back into radio or just, like, tap into that broadcasting element, interest, if you will. And then, you know, podcasts started growing. And I was listening to these guys. And I was like, man, I could do this. And I looked into it. And, you know, what do I need? And I started off with just a, a relatively cheap, like, portable recorder. Got a couple um, – I spent a little bit of money on, like, got good headphones. They're, like, 200 bucks a piece. But, yeah. And then just kind of traveled around. You know, I went to them, you know, and then COVID hit. That changed everything. Now everybody's kind of – and before it was all, like, in person, which was cool. I think you get really good – I do think you get better conversations when you're physically in front of somebody – there's just there's like facial cues and and you know body posture cues. No, I of, I totally get it. Totally get it. It's definitely better, but it seems like people have really gotten they've gotten used to the the phone interviews now, um, so it doesn't seem as bad, and it does definitely open up more opportunities because you know being a guide, people are busy, people in the outdoor industry, whether they're guides or tackle manufacturer or resort owner or whatever it might be, um, or, or, you know, a a TV show host or something like that. Like they're busy. It's really, really hard. Like that's, that's kind of been like one of the biggest challenges is like, you'll reach out to people, they're willing to do it. And then it's just a matter of finding a time. Like it's so difficult, especially when you're trying to do it face to face. Well, now that we're doing it, on the on the telephone here and people are used to that it's actually made it quite a bit easier no i definitely believe that a lot easier to schedule stuff a lot less uh travel time involved also yeah for sure and this one Expense. worked out because you're like well the weather's kind of screwing everything up i got all day tomorrow <laughs> open i'm like sweet because i need that's, an episode this week <laughs> that's true that's definitely true speaking of which we're already recording so we might as well uh this be a perfect time to introduce yourself well, I'm Ryan Kelly. I own and operate Laguna Guide Service 
I serve the Mille Lacs in Big Stone areas. I do Mille Lacs full-time. I do it summer and winter. Big Stone Lake is something that I do in the winter, and then I also do it in the spring before Minnesota opener. Big Stone doesn't have a closed walleye or bass season, so in April and early May, I'll be doing trips out there for walleyes and bass as well. Now, that's that's kind of a double-edged sword, right? You could you could have some downtime <laughs> to, for, yeah. you, for yourself, but also downtime could suck if you just keep want you still want to make money so it's, I, I yeah i like what i do <laughs> yeah i mean that's true like it like oh no i gotta go fishing again today uh, boohoo you know? <laughs> yeah and, and that's good so yeah um and you know we talked before we started recording so we can kind of rehash this conversation that's like one of the few places in minnesota i have yet to really fish i've never made it out to big stone well i a lot of people haven't um big stones Ortonville, that area is kind of on an island. Um, I grew up out there. The nearest stoplight was like 15 miles away. Uh, the nearest <laughs> Walmart was an hour away. Nearest McDonald's was by that Walmart. Uh, my class was three towns put together, Ortonville, Big Stone, and Bellingham. And uh, we had a fairly large class of class of 06 i believe it was 56 kids so you know you got you got uh what is it fargo moorhead a couple hours to the north sioux falls a couple hours to the south and the twin cities you know three and a half hours to the east so ortonville is kind of by itself but it's a cool area and it's it's got it's had some tremendous fishing opportunity over the years you know in the 70s and that time frame you used to hear about the crappies coming out of that lake it was a crappie mecca for a while and then that kind of faded away and then in the 90s big stone actually turned into like a total walleye factory and the lake was just it had dirtier water at that time it was just very conducive to walleyes they were stocking it they were putting a couple million walleye fry in there every couple years and big stone actually turned into i think the dnr said it had the highest walleye population of any lake in Minnesota per acre. So being the 12th largest lake in Minnesota, it had a pile of walleyes in it. And the guys were coming from all over fishing it and uh, some big tournaments. At that time, the MWC started going out there and the big boys were coming from all over the country to fish it. And it was really known as just an excellent walleye fishery. But sometime in the early 2000s, things started to change on Big Stone. And uh, what I noticed when I was young is you'd see more weeds popping up in certain areas where you didn't really notice them before. I was noticing coontail growing around the islands, and then later on you would see it growing by the peninsula and some other portions of the lake. And then about a, 10 years ago, maybe a little longer than 10 years ago now at this point, um, you, you really start to see a, a spike in the perch population. And the perch started booming out there. And as the perch started coming up, you'd notice more weeds in the lake. Then we got curly leaf pond weed at some point around that same time frame. And all of a sudden it's like big stone flopped and it went from a walleye lake to all of a sudden, not only did it have perch, but it had big bluegills in it. And now we're starting to see some crappies coming back again. And it's turned into quite a bass lake too. And it, it's a lot to try to say all at once, but it, it's changed in <laughs> big ways and done some really cool things. Um, like two years ago, I went out in the spring and I caught 40, I went out in the spring or June, early June, went out and uh, I was just pitching plastics. I had 47 bluegills over 10 inches in one afternoon. Ooh, now, now you got my attention. And, and I didn't really realize what was there at the time. I just knew there were some bluegills in this area and it just... <laughs> Like, it shocked me at the end of the day. I'm, I'm like, oh, what, what is this? Like, this can't be real. And that's that's an area that I grew up in. So the Big Stone is really, it's really changed a lot. Um, another thing is the bass fishing out there has really taken off, too. And there's some smaller local tournaments that are really turning some heads in the region. Uh, and one of which was one that I fished this spring. Uh, it's always been known for bringing in big weights. Like it, it's weighed 25, 27 pound bags in the past to win it. But this year, um, it was like the first week in May, 
big winds, you know, pretty nasty weather. I wasn't really sure what it was going to take to win it. Went to the weigh-in. The winner weighed in 31 and three-quarter oh, pounds for their top five my fish. my God. It was a six-and-a-half-pound average on a certified scale. That's insanity, dude. Yeah. I, you know what I remember? Yeah. When you brought up the wind thing, I remembered that. I remember seeing that on social media. I remember people posting about that uh, tournament. It was nasty. Our, our batteries in my boat were dead by noon. Like, it, <laughs> I've got a 36-volt system and good batteries in my boat, and they were dead by noon. I was on power 10 from the time we took off until I had to tuck behind an island and just hide the rest of the day. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, that really limits you where you can and, fish and, and how it, you it, can fish, too. Yeah, and it still took huge weights to get it done. Yeah. So. I don't think anybody was drop-shotting that day. No, no. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's well. I mean, it sounds like I have reason to get out there now. I mean, ten-inch bluegills and big bass—you're talking my language now. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Hopefully, you know, people have keep conservation in mind and toss back the the truly large bluegills. You know, I tell my clients that I like to see anything over ten inches go back in the lake. Same. But, I like. Um, I'm 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 starting to like lower my limit to like even like nine and a half. You know, and maybe yeah. even a touch lower. You know, you don't really get that much more meat, and it's just once you get to that size, you know, like even a nine and a half is such a different fish than than even a nine. You know, and then that ten for sure is that next echelon. And every once in a while, I've looked in the bucket, and we get a big one that ends up in there. You know, I take a lot of people out fishing, and not everybody really knows what's what as mm-hmm. far as fish go. When you cut into a big bluegill, there's something that changes about the meat in them. It goes from that kind of flakiness, like a perch or a walleye. It almost gets like this burled, roundy looking. I don't know how to describe it. It, it almost, it almost like looks what you would envision gristle looking like. It's different. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I guess I haven't really noticed that per se, but marbly or something it's weird but yeah they're, they're definitely different you know i don't i don't really have a set limit size limit on what a person should keep or what they shouldn't keep but i just think you know if you want to see big bluegills in your lake you got to use a little discretion in what you keep no I'm, i i agree 100 percent. i mean me personally i just i don't keep that many fish uh in general um but yeah obviously when you're guiding people like the they like to take some home and you you can understand that um, absolutely but that's a good opportunity to kind of pass on a little bit more of the um, conservation mind of stuff you know as long as you explain you know why you're doing it and as long as they leave with a big bag of fish they won't be upset mm-hmm. no no not at all they generally have plenty <laughs> yeah exactly yeah 100 uh so when i was researching so i was looking for a guide to uh, help with the radio program the fishing report show in case uh Anybody's curious, there's a new fishing report show I've developed with the station I work at with KBFT up here in uh, Net Lake, Minnesota. Small radio station, but you can find it online. Just go to kbft.org, uh, I believe, yeah, .org. And there's a nice little banner there. You can just click on that. You can listen to it whenever you want. Um, so I was looking for a uh, Malax contributor, and I, that's how I kind of found your page. But then what really caught my eye, and I was like, I'm reaching out to this guy. Was the the Isle Royal trips for lake trout? So let's yeah. talk about that. <laughs> and, you know, it, the Isle Royal trips are it, it's something I really haven't done yet. And you know, when you're building a website, you've you're dedicating a lot of time to it. And it's something I plan on doing going forward into the future is actually doing guided trips out there. That's part of my reason for getting my captain's license. But um, it's it's a page I put up there. I kind of had it stuck in the back, and I'm like, okay, when I start taking these trips, that page will be done, then I can start advertising going forward with that. But uh, so far right now, it's been family and close friends that I've been bringing up there over the last few years, and I've gotten pretty antiquated with the area and it's it's a special place. It's a lot of fun. I like to go up in the fall when the lake trout start coming in shallower, and uh, the targets just to get giant lake trout and try to get out there and get back in one piece or or just get back. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a run. I mean, and that, that I was just fascinated by it because 
Well, A, I've been fascinated by Isle Royale since I learned what it was as a kid. Like, there's just so much about it that just fascinates me. Just the, the size of the island, um, you know, the, the wolf-moose ecology on it. Um, and my opinion on that has changed totally. We can go down that road later. I'll try to stay on topic. Uh, but just, like, I've always thought – and I've even looked into going there because there is, like – there's one resort, I believe – on the whole place in the if, north if end. you go to the far east or northeast whatever you want to call it that side of the island yeah there there is a, a hotel and it's just a few rooms it's kind of a neat looking place it's right on the water and it's got a, a little um, like burger joint i think it's got two tap beers and a menu with like a burger, a burger, or this burger. <laughs> well, I mean, you, could, you can't have much. I mean, there's, there's no, yeah. you're getting no volume out there. <laughs> yeah, everything needs to be boated in, too. Yeah, so for sure. Know, like, it just seems it. like, I don't know, that just seems fascinating. But I know some people go out there, and it is a national park. Um, you can camp on the island. There's lakes in the interior part of the the island that have fish in it, pike, yep. and I think trout. Um just I, I've just been fascinated by it, so that's that's kind of what caught my eye. And then, of course, the fish pictures that you showed—these are these are not small Lakers; these are huge. No, um, like the biggest one we've boated so far is forty-three and a half inches. And it, it was it was a fat forty-three and a half inch fish, so I'm not real sure. I'm guessing mid, maybe a little over mid thirties as far as pounds. Um, it's We've done trips up there where we've got a lot of fish. You actually get worn out from catching them. Um, a lot of that's just the timing, getting there at the right time. But we've had days up there where our average is, you know, 38 to 39-inch lake trout. My goodness. And you go over a school of them, like you'll mark them. You'll go over the school, and you'll have four boards out, and <laughs> three boards will go back, and it's – as two guys are reeling on them, all of a sudden the fourth one goes back. <laughs> That's not a bad problem to have. No, no. You know, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, well, it was interesting, too. It's like I think it's it's going to be a unique challenge because, like you, you mentioned on your website, like your like weather, especially like in fall, really dictates when you can get out there. I mean, that, that's not a lake you want to get caught out. And, you know, when the gales of November – come early yeah yeah <laughs> and that's that's going to be part of that's going to be a logistic challenge when i go down that road and do take trips like i've got the the packet and the applications because it's michigan it's not actually minnesota right waters. correct it's michigan yeah so it's it's only like 19 miles away from minnesota and something like 50 miles away or 40 miles away from michigan i'm not real sure which, how which, far it is how did that happen but it's considered michigan like that like michigan is like the least likely candidate like yeah to me yeah. minnesota makes the most sense it all, it almost seems like it should be in canada yeah, in, how, how instead did, of either but how did canada yeah. not get it that's the I, other thing i don't know how that all worked out it's it's got a real unique history too i mean it used to be covered in commercial lake trout fishermen years ago and then the Forestry Service bought it and turned it into a national park, which it's the least visited national park in the United States. I want to say it's like 40,000 visitors a year, which surprising I think I saw much. once. Yeah, I think I saw a stat that said like Yellowstone or something like that got that many visitors in a busy day. I believe so it. It's, uh, it's so it's a pretty interesting and unique spot. And, you know, you can go out fishing there for a weekend at times in the fall and you just you won't see another boat maybe a, a forestry service boat or something like that but that's it or an ore ship well, driving it's so by. remote it is and like a lot of the fishing spots that we're going to you know the, the island might only be 20 miles away from mainland but a lot of the fishing spots we go to like we don't even start dropping lines until we get you know 40 55 miles from from mainland you know some of the spots are 75 to 85 miles away oh my god so like you you don't go run that in a day but if you're out there for a weekend you know it's always cool to get way off the beaten path i guess it's all off the beaten path but, well yeah so you know you always got to go to the other side of the lake well yeah there <laughs> obviously <laughs> so uh, let's talk about that process so you're going that far out like are you 
staying on the boat? Like you just, you got a big boat with a cabin I, on it or are you camping? I, I have in the past. So I actually, no, if I'm going by myself, like when I first started going up there, huh, the first time I ever went up there was 12 years ago or so. And I took a 16 foot Lund with a 30 horse up there and oh I did God. it in like seven and a half, eight and a half foot waves, maybe a little bit bigger. Oh I, I didn't really know what I was getting into and the wind was blowing <laughs> offshore. And then I got about 10 miles out and realized I was in totally over my head and I didn't have much other oh. choice than to just keep going and get to Washington Harbor. And I got in there. I'm like, Oh my God, I, I was going out there for a week and I'm like, how am I ever going to get back? I never want to go across this ever again. That was terrifying. <laughs> and, uh, and I ended up having an absolute riot out there. I had no clue what I was doing. I had never fished lake trout before. I, I had some like musky rods and bought these things that were round. They turned out to be dipsy divers. <laughs> and I think I lost them all in the rocks cause I didn't know what I was doing, but I was catching <laughs> fish and I was having fun and it was great. And I was actually, sleeping in the bottom of the boat i would just go tie up to a dock and then sleep in my boat at night and what's wild about that is like the first morning i woke up out there laying in the bottom of my 16 foot lund i opened my eyes and i'm just kind of laying there and the sun's just coming up it's just starting to get light out and i'm tied up to this dock there's these permanent docks and all these harbors around the island it was my first night there so i really didn't know how everything worked out there yet because I didn't get in until night. It was like actually dark when I pulled in on these waves. It was, it was, it was a mess. But anyway, I opened my eyes. I'm looking around and looking over the edge of the dock at me is a red fox. Just looking at me. We're only like three, four feet apart, nose to nose, just looking at each other. And I'm, I'm like, what in the heck is this? You know, it's a, a fox staring right at me. And I'm kind of like just frozen. Fox turns around I, it disappears onto the dock so i jump up in the boat and look and it's just kind of trotting off looking back at me turns out that the the animal life on the island really just isn't that afraid of people so if you go walk on the trails on isle royal and you see a squirrel or a chipmunk or whatever little critters are running around they're not real terrified of you i mean they just kind of meander out of your way they don't run out of your way they just kind of move out of your way well they probably have very little exposure to humans i mean it's not, I mean, it's a big island. I mean, there's, it, it's kind of nuts. So what do you need? Like, I suppose you got to get some sort of permit to, if you're going to camp on the island, right? Yeah. So when you get out there, I want to say it's like, it used to be three bucks a night, but I think now it's about seven. Oh my God. And inflation. You, just, you just, yeah, yeah. You just buy a, a day pass and you can get them for, I don't know, so many days at a time. I don't know if you can buy them up to seven or 14 days or something like that. But you just buy day passes, and then you're good to go out on the island. Hmm. And then, since it's Michigan, you need a Michigan fishing license. Okay, that makes it makes sense. But I I feel like a lot of people wouldn't think of that, <laughs> just because it yeah. does seem more like Minnesota than Michigan. Yeah, yeah. That's that's so bizarre. Uh, so one of the other things that uh, we'll go we'll talk about Iowa a little bit more because it's just it just fascinates me um, <laughs> that it's uh, you know this whole uh, moose, wolf, uh, ecology they got going on there. And that's kind of what they, they wanted to study, but it's actually the only national park that we actively mess with. Where as far as like, there was a time like when, um, spear froze all the way over. And for whatever reason, the few moose or the few wolves that were there were like, peace out. We're dipping. We've been waiting for this moment. We out. And you wouldn't, you'd think they'd want to stay there because of all the moose. But they left. But the biologists and everything is like, we got to get moose back out here. Or, I mean, I keep mis- mixing that up. We got to get the wolves back out here. And, like, and in my opinion, I'm like, I thought this was a study to see what happens in nature when stuff's left alone. Isn't this part of it? Like, they left on their own admission. Well, th- <laughs> just leave it alone. Like, so my understanding is those islands out in Lake Superior, they actually used to have woodland caribou on them. Um, Isle Royal included. In fact, there's an island over on the eastern part of Lake Superior that I believe still has some woodland caribou on it. I don't know how it's pronounced, McPelotin or something like that. Something. I was I was just looking at that like a few weeks ago. I don't know how but, or why, but yeah, I started looking into that. 
but the it, so apparently my understanding is moose actually swam across to isle royal in like the 1920s and they like exploded out there because the caribou were gone the moose had the run of it they had it all to themselves so they exploded and then wolves came on the ice sometime in the 40s i believe it was and they crossed over on ice and then the wolves exploded. So what happened was they had like this perfect scenario of mother nature, just moose coming over, wolves coming over on their own. It was kind of untainted way of studying a predator to prey relationship. Mm-hmm. And you can read all about it online. I'm not the guy to ask about it, but <laughs> you can watch like this perfect little co- correlation between moose numbers going up and then wolf numbers coming up and then the wolves overeating the moose and the moose crashing and then the wolves crashing. It kind of goes through until about 20 years ago or so. And the wolves just finally started dying off. And I don't know if it was, I think they had a couple of unfortunate incidences where wolves, you know, maybe have got kicked by a moose and got killed. And, but the, the gene pool is pretty small out there. And when they lost a couple of these or a couple of these wolves, all of a sudden the population started becoming inbred and it started falling apart and just collapsing. And then a few years ago it was down to like two super inbred wolves and they thought, ah, it's pretty much over. And then I believe a, a wolf actually crossed over, like a miracle wolf crossed over and they thought, oh, what's going to happen here? And then it actually, like, it was only there for a few weeks, and then it crossed back to Minnesota, and then somebody shot it with a pellet gun, and it died back in Minnesota. <laughs> like, gun. just this, yeah, like, it wasn't even a rifle or anything. Wow. It was a pellet gun. Yeah, you can read all about it. Just, like, bizarre, whole bizarre set of sequences. But then, you know, this untainted wildlife study and correlation between predator and prey, the moose and the wolves out there, the u.s fish and wildlife or certain biologists that were studying it it's my understanding that they're like hey you know we're gonna lose this study in case some new blood is brought out here so they ended up bringing at one point i think they had brought 13 wolves out i don't know what the exact numbers were but they they got their fingers in it so it's no longer untainted it's it's been played with now so yeah and we'll that, see what happens yep and that's kind of my point like they just kind of they, they're kind of trying to keep it a wolf moose you know thing it's like well i mean in my opinion i feel like if you're going to study this as an isolated um ecosystem then whatever happens happens you know and if if that means that the wolves aren't there for a period of time and the moose population gets so big and they'll probably you know, have a crash due to disease or, or just starvation if they overgraze the island or whatever happens, like, then that's, that's just what happens. But yeah, yeah. looking back on like, um, historical records and fossil records, that island used to be, like you said, caribou it was a caribou lynx island. Oh, okay. um, it wasn't even, wasn't even wolves. It was more like the lynx were like the, the main predator, um, I've gone down some rabbit holes on this island. And it's really, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm looking at it right now on just on Google Maps, and it just even the way it, it looks, um, like the geology of it is just so unique. Like it lays southwest and northeast, and there's like these ridges on it, you know. And it does that all the way into the lake. Yeah, all the way, and so, there's just these strips of these like really long, narrow islands. Um, it's uh, it's just it's fascinating. I mean, just yeah. the whole thing just just fascinates me. <laughs> I think those, I'm not sure what those strips are, but if you go real far back, I think it was like some sort of old super volcano or something at one point, Lake Superior. Hmm. I, I don't know. Just been that much more out by it. the glaciers or something. I, I guess I don't really know. And I was looking at that other Island you're talking about. It's, it's in Canada. It's called, well, I'm probably going to mispronounce it, but Mishapikatin Island. But yeah. there's, there's another smaller island just south of there called Caribou Island, aptly named, and I believe <laughs> that does actually have caribou on it. Um, I read a story. Uh, like I said, I went down a rabbit hole. <laughs> there's a story, but uh, there was a small camp there, but they abandoned it at some point in time because I guess the caribou on there were, like, super aggressive, and they were, like, attacking them and stuff. <laughs> this is fascinating. It's just, like, it's just crazy stuff. Um, yeah. But it's, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I can't imagine 
I mean, that's a that's a run. So are you going out of Grand Portage? Like, where where's your harbor? Like, what are you leaving from? I, I go out of Grand Portage. I go out of the casino there. You know, okay. you pay your 10 bucks or 15 bucks to whatever. And you, you dump your boat in at their harbor and you take off and you just park there. But um, kind of to go back to your question earlier, that when you go on Isle Royal, there's these little huts. They're three-sided huts, and on the fourth side is just screened in. They're all over the island. So wherever there's like a little harbor, a lot of times these little harbors will have docks on them. And they're just natural harbors, but they'll have these man-made kind of permanent docks. It's basically a wood crib filled with rocks with planks on top. And when you go to those docks, a lot of times just inset and shore a little ways, there'll be these little three-sided um, huts with a floor in them. They've got a roof, a floor three sides wood, the fourth side screened in with a door and you can just nap in those. And that's, that's where I stay now when I stay out at the Island. Okay. That's... And the way, the way that you claim that is they give you a ticket when you buy your uh, permit. So you buy your permit it, um, you, you can either do it online or I think you have to go to the Island, you buy your permit and they give you this tag and then you hang your tag on the door and you, you can claim that hut for a day or two, or I don't remember what the rules are, but you can clean that hut, and that's where you, you camp for the day. Okay. It's just I'm getting lost on this map all over again. It's just this lake or this <laughs> island. There's just something about it, man. It's just it's... And, and the way it runs southeast to north or uh, southwest to northeast, like the reefs in the lake, a lot of them kind of run the same way. So you can kind of get on a ridge and just troll in a straight line and stay right on top of the reef. A lot of them run that direction. You know, they keep going farther to the south like that, and they keep going to the north like that. Yeah, I'm looking at some that are way off. I feel, I mean, there's got to be some sketchy spots out there that where you got to kind of be careful. Um, I think, or is it I, just I would drop it, off really fast? It, it seems to drop off fast okay. enough, you know, in a, in a walleye boat, it's not a big deal like I've got, but you know, there's a lot of shipwrecks out there. I've posted some stuff on Facebook, like some of the, some of the reefs, like there's one reef. Um, that's why they built the lighthouse, the rock of ages lighthouse. There's a reef not too far from it, or it's basically the same reef. But it's, it's got more than one shipwreck on it. I've gone over it with side imaging. You can look down there, and you can see the hulls of, like, these 200-foot boats oh, down wow. there. And then when you go on the island, there's one uh, in Washington Harbor, the SS America, which is only a few feet underwater. Like, you can see it when you oh, drive over I'm the cross. I mean, right it's, it's, it's a big, old, cool boat, oh, you know, you can, from the you 20s. You can see it on Google Images. Yeah. On yeah. Google Map, yeah, you can see it. Oh, and then the other crazy. the other... The other one's around that reef out by Rock of Ages. One's a George Cox, and then the other one is uh, George M. Cox, and then the other one is, um, I forget what the other one's called. But those are just, you know, boats from the 20s or maybe even older than that. Like, one's a big steam wheel paddle schooner type <laughs> weird job out there, and the other one's just a big old passenger ship but you go over them there in you know 140 150 feet of water and you can see their big hulls down there on the bottom on side imaging that is just nuts dude I, and then gosh. there's other parts there's ore boats and stuff like that when you get up to the north side of the island there's a, a wreck that's particularly interesting it's called the cam loops and that one's in like 200 feet of water. And I haven't found that one on site imaging. I don't spend as much time on the north side. At the north side, you're pretty exposed. That's why I try to stay on the south side. There tends to be more harbors. But on the north side, that Kamloops shipwreck, um, that went down during like a big storm in the early December of the early 1920s. And some of the guys actually swam to shore during the snowstorm and like froze to death on shore. It was a pretty, pretty, Ooh. pretty sad deal. But divers, like guys, professional um, divers, they like it because it's a super well-preserved shipwreck. Like when you get that low in Lake Superior, they say the water temps are just barely above freezing down there and there's really not that much oxygen. So things are incredibly well preserved. So they go down and they dive on this Kamloops shipwreck, which is in like 200 feet of water. You know, it takes a special set of equipment and you got to know what you're doing. It's not just your average diver going down there, but they go down there and you can look up online. Like they have crates 
on the ship. There, it was going to Canada with all sorts of goods, but there's crates on it of Lifesavers candies, and you can still okay. see the coloring on the packaging of <laughs> really? 1920s Lifesavers candies. Well, and then if you kind if of you read, ironic, isn't it? And if you read more about it, this is where it starts getting creepy. There's an um, engine room that they go in on this ship. And in the engine room, there's still a torso in it. Oh, wow. That... And guys call them, guys call the torso, the divers call it, legend has it, rumor has it, they call them Whitey or Grandpa or something like that. <laughs> it's, huh. Yeah, some some crazy stuff. That, this, I'm telling you, this island's fascinating. I don't, I bet you could, I bet if you, if you just went downtown, uh, Twin Cities. You went to like Mall of America. Let's say you go to Mall of America and you stop a hundred people and you ask them about Isle Royal. I bet most of them haven't even heard of it. Much less could <laughs> tell say you where 90. it is. <laughs> I'd say ninety of them haven't heard of it. <laughs> yeah, it's probably higher than that. Like it's like yep. it, it's it's a fascinating place for sure. And it's just not easy to get to. You know, I'm not surprised that it's the least visited national park. I mean, it's it's a you got to take a boat to get there. I mean, it's boat or seaplane. That's the only two ways How people often, get out there. Are, are there daily trips out there? Um, so there's trips going from what is it, Houghton, Michigan, that area. They go out there. They take this big boat. I think it's called the Ranger, the Ranger Two. It's actually got a crane on it. So, like, let's say you had an 18 or 19 foot fishing boat, you can call the that boat and they'll pick your boat up and they'll set it on the deck and they'll haul your boat over there and oh, then wow. unload it into the water for you so you can go fishing i think oh. the cutoff is 20 feet interesting yeah and then there's other boats smaller ones i don't remember if the one's called the voyager it's kind of like a giant aluminum passenger boat it's not a big steel ship like the ranger i think it's just a big aluminum passenger boat i don't know if it's 40 60 feet long whatever it is but you see that one bombing people around from campsite to campsite, you know, on the different harbors on the north and south side of the islands. Hmm. So there's there's a couple boats going back and forth. And then, you know, during the summer, I think it's peak season is like mid-July until, you know, right around Labor Day. Um, if you're out there at that time, you see the seaplanes flying in and out, okay. and, you know, the, the float planes. And when you get up uh, by that hotel on the north side or the northeast end of the island, there's a harbor. You know, those harbors run northeast or to southwest. Um, the one harbor is like a perfect runway, and it's right by the hotel, so they, they're flying people in and out all the time during peak season. I bet. I bet when you're up there in November, I bet you don't see anybody. Yeah, late late October, you don't see anybody at all up there. God, that's... Oh man, I don't know. Someday, someday I got to get out there. It's, it's pretty <laughs> neat. So when you like, you went out there, you didn't know what you were doing. You just like started trolling. And so, I mean, like, now what do you like, how do you target them now? Like, well now, you know, at that time I was going out there in the summer. Like when I first started going up there, I'd go up there in July, August. And then I would be trolling, you know, relatively deep. I was, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was trolling like 80, 90 feet of water, but I was catching fish. So you know, whatever it was right? working. Yeah. <laughs> but then I started doing some research on Lake Trout. I was like, I, I want to get some big ones. Like this is kind of cool. And so I started reading about their spawning habits and how they actually spawn in the fall out on Lake Superior. And so I started doing some research on what guys do on actual big lake trout waters, like um, oh, Great Slave Lake or Great Bear Lake up in Canada. Those lakes, like what what are the popular techniques out there? And you know, they use like great slave they do a lot of jigging with big bucktails and stuff like that and great bear lake they actually do mostly trolling with like uh, the big husky daredevils the giant husky daredevils mm-hmm. and those t60 flatfishes those big giant lazy ike looking ones the biggest ones they oh make. yeah yeah that's yep, where yep. that's where they use those like those are like the two things they use up there the husky devils and the big t60 flatfishes so i'm like well let, let's buy some of these and try it and i I kind of didn't really know what to expect. I'm like, I, I don't know, maybe this will work here, maybe not. So I started going there in the fall, and first couple times were pretty big busts. Like, you get some fish, but I really didn't know where to go or what to do. And then after a couple trips, I started getting it narrowed down, and 
I've got a pretty good, pretty good science, pretty good pattern going. Got it pretty dialed in. Are there are there any um, like steelhead runs up that way at all? Because there are uh, rivers you, that flow out of that island. Yeah, I don't necessarily know if they use those rivers in any of the. I don't. My steelhead salmon identification <laughs> is not good. Like I, I don't really know the difference. Like I know what a coho looks like. I think, but. I'm just, that's not really my thing. And that's not really what I target, but I, I do incidentally catch them during the summer. Okay. What I, what I noticed was, um, you pick one up here and there when you're trolling up high, uh, during the summer out in the middle of nowhere, you, you just kind of happen into them here and there. But where I really notice a lot of them is when I start getting towards, um, the cuts going into the inlets on the islands, you know, the big harbors, the cuts that break in and out and the current breaks and stuff like that. That's where I start seeing more of the what I, I believe a lot of them are steelhead, and I catch those incidentally here and there. And sometimes you see them chasing bait; they're right up at the surface by the boat. It's kind of cool, so you'll cast at them a few times and not catch anything. <laughs> not, you know, and, and not catch anything. Yeah, yeah. I've I've kept some little Cleo's handy. Guys are like, oh yeah, throw a rooster tail or a little Cleo, you'll slam them. I'm like, okay, so I have a spinning rod ready, and then I see one and I cast it, and nothing happens, but hmm. they're there. Um, so when you go out, are you just kind of trolling those ridges kind of blind or are you trying to mark schools mm. of bait fish? You're trying to mark schools of lake trout or both, um, all, all three actually. And sometimes I'll mark the schools of trout will show up real obvious at times. Um, you'll see them suspended once in a while. Like you'll see these, see these big schools of them just suspended off of reefs. And those ones are pretty easy to target. You're like, Oh, there they are, you know? get your baits by them they'll go and then are you and trolling then, in a situation like that, that or are you gonna try to drop on them with those hair jigs and stuff well generally when i'm doing the jigs it's when i'm in an area that's a little bit deeper and i've got some current so if like i've got a point or some deeper rocks where i know there's some current running one of my favorite things to do is drop a jig right on top of them and generally you're in a little bit deeper water doing that like 40 foot plus um, I know that's not deep as far as Lake Superior right. standards go, but considering most of what I'm doing in the fall, that's, you know, that's a little bit deeper. Like a lot of my favorite stuff to jig is about 80 feet of water. Um, the other thing I do is obviously the trolling, you put stuff, either flatline it right off the back of the boat or else you're putting them on planer boards. You do a lot of spooling. Spoons are the most effective. The crankbaits work too, but the spoons are just easier to deal with. But uh, then the third thing I do is I also cast for them. And the casting is the nut that I'd like to crack a little bit more. That It's just so fun casting for anything. And I can sometimes get them to go casting. Like if you've got some real heavy structure, like some big rocks and about 15 feet of water, casting a big swim bait, like a big 6-inch or 8-inch Kytec white swim bait on a big bullet head, you bomb it out there and reel it in, they'll come up and clobber it. But... A lot of what I found is, like we were talking about those fish that are suspended off of the reefs, when I see those, I've, I've tried time and time again casting for them, and I've got some other ideas next time I go back there, but they tend to follow, and they follow quite a ways, and they won't actually bite. And I think what happens is they intend to bite, but they just, as they get close to the boat, they see the bait come up to the boat and they turn around. And I've got these cameras, um, like water wolf or go fish cams, that sort of thing that I play with. So I've actually tied those on my lines. You probably go on my Facebook page and find a couple videos of this, but I time on my lines or I think my TikTok also has a couple videos, but anyway, I tie these, they're the size of a cigar. I tie my bait about three feet off the back of them and then I troll them. And it's amazing how far a big lake trout will chase a bait. Like they'll follow for a minute before they finally hit it. Sometimes longer. Wow. They just, they keep following and following. And I think that's the issue I run into with casting is a jig. You can hold it on them. Trolling, obviously you can go forever trolling, but casting, you know, yeah. you have a, a finite time yeah. limit. Run out of runway. Eat it before it gets to the boat. So casting, I can see them come up, and I watch them get close to the boat, and then they just kind of do a lazy turnaround and disappear again. I suppose it's hard to know if you're being followed on a retrieve too, but do you try like, like you snap jigging them. them or turning real or like really really fast to try to trigger a bite? I know ice fishing yeah. that's kind of a trigger. Yeah, you know, you just... and I've I've brought some other stuff like some musky baits out there, bondy baits and uh, phantoms and 
some different crankbaits that have some big wide wobbles and waggles to them, you know, that kind of appeal to the lake trout. The, the only thing that I haven't tried is a jerk bait, and that's that's the one thing I'd like to try is, you know, big X wrap because I could pause it in front of their face, but I, you know, I, I've kind of thought about that after the fact, and now it I'll just have to wait until next fall before I can give it a try. <laughs> yeah. So you're kind of fishing the upper part of the water column that way, it sounds like. Like and that's a, where I prefer to target them. Okay. You know, it, 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 like Superior's interesting. There's two distinct varieties of lake trout in there. There's leans and fats. And the leans are generally in like 200 feet of water or less. And the fats, you really don't see them until you get deeper than 250 feet of water. And you don't encounter too many fats in Lake Superior. But they're there, and there's a lot of them. I, so one of the DNRs, I don't remember which states, it might have been Minnesota or Wisconsin, but they put these nets out in like 50-foot increments all the way out to like 800 feet of water or more. There's a study of it online. I, I don't remember what the exact numbers were. But they found more and more lake trout the deeper they went. So they put a net in 200 feet of water, and they'd find more in 300. And they put a net at 400 feet of water, and there was more at 400 than there was 300 and there was more at 500 and there was more at 600 all the way down to like these ridiculous depths and those were fats and the, the fat lake trout that they're like up to a 70 percent body content they're, they're called siskowets and siskowet is i guess a old indian term that means flesh that cooks itself so basically what they're describing is the fish you try to cook it and it just starts on fire because it's all body fat right so you have the fats and then you have the leans and the leans are generally you know 200 feet of water or less so you'll find those all over the humps and reefs and everything and you know you can find them all over in that 200 feet but i don't want to be trolling downriggers 130 feet or 150 feet down i don't want to be fishing those depths i don't want to be playing with dipsy divers all day i like fishing them where you know you can just fight them on normal tackle i mean a lot of what i do you could use walleye equipment or bass equipment to do it like my jigs the, the heaviest i go with is a two ounce and i can use that on just my seven four heavy action bass rod sure i mean you wouldn't want to try to land a 40 inch lake trout on my on my bass rod i mean i think you could but i think you'd have a hell of a time oh, we, we we have we have we've done it it's fun it's fun oh, you, you got 12 pounds of drag i mean you, yeah you can, you can handle them it does it i suppose that's got to be a fight though man hang on it's fun yeah that's man well i mean if you ever have an empty seat <laughs> you, need, <laughs> you need a you need a first mate i i could probably be talked into it I mean, I have to give up some duck hunting in October, but I, I think I could be talked into it. <laughs> uh, yeah, especially if I, like, my connection or my draw to that island anyways, Isle Royal. I mean, like, do you do you go out that far because you just you like to? Or, like, do you need to? Can you find big uh, no, lakers you, closer? You, or you kind of got to get out closer. there? You can find them closer. There's plenty of lake trout on the, the east side of the island. I, I just I, – I fish all, or west side of the island, I guess. I, I just like fishing all different parts, and some areas I just like better than others. I just know them better. Um, I yeah. don't know. That's that's just what I do. Now, do you have, like, do you have a little war of, like, wanderlust? Like, should I go where I, I have, I'm familiar with, or do you strike out to find new territory oh, all the time so generally <laughs> like if i'm if i'm bringing a friend up there what we're gonna do is we're gonna go to like a guaranteed spot sure and we'll go out there and we'll get some fish and you, you know it only takes a few lake trout and your arms are noodles i mean they really go they just don't stop so you catch three four lake trout i mean you're you're kind of tired it, it they really take it out of you so after we do that generally they're like when I see them telling me, oh, why don't you take that route? I'm like, hey, how about we try a new spot? And then <laughs> that's where I'll go wander. Yeah. Then I'll be like, hey, let's go try this over here. And a lot of times, man, you, you find some really cool stuff, and sometimes you go bust, but that's yeah. that's what makes it fun, you know? Yeah, that's 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 all part of it. I know I'm kind of – I have that. 
I guess I kind of have that same theory. So, like, my brother lives in South Carolina, and I love going down there and, you know, catching big redfish. And when the seas are good and we can get out a little, you know, further near shore wrecks and stuff like that, um, artificial reefs. And his boats, you know, it's not it's not huge. You know, as a single engine, it's not like a 350 or anything. It's, uh, man, I can't remember what horsepower right now it is, but it's not even that big. Maybe maybe it's a 120 or something like that, but um, you can pretty much get out to like Charleston 60, and that's you're gonna run out of gas. So one of these days, <laughs> but I always want to like I have that like I want to explore because I'm just like there's no way for the amount of life that lives on this reef. There's no way this is the only place where there's life. There's got to be other spots, you know. And I'm definitely a get away from the crowds kind of fisherman. So you go out there on a nice day, and it's crowded you know people are anchored up all over that thing oh yeah and it's just like and even if you're catching fish there's a part of me that's just like nah, i just don't want to do this like <laughs> it's like <laughs> i like getting away from people uh, but i'm so limited with like with my the my range my fuel range when i'm out there so yep. i keep telling my brother like one of these days i'm loading i'm putting like i'm gonna have like 20 gallons of gas in this boat and i'm i'm gonna spend a day just scanning and i'm gonna find some of our own spots and that would be a lot of fun. But just like this, it's like run out there, get a couple fish under your belt, and then just go explore. Because then, you know, then it's not, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a success already. You know, the pressure's uh, off. It, not only is it a success, but it's a good gauge. You yeah. Know, if you're catching some fish and then you go to a new area and you don't catch any, well, maybe that's not such a good area. So yeah. now you got to gauge something to kind of balance it Yeah, off. they're biting. They're just, you're yeah. not finding them, right? So that, yeah, yeah. that's a good point. And I feel like you can also then use, like, what you learn there. You could pattern them a little bit. It's like, okay, well, if I was finding fish in this depth or around this type of structure or this type of bait or whatever those factors or this temperature of water or whatever those factors might be, um, then you can kind of play that pattern game in somewhere oh, yeah. else. And you find that spot on the map. You go check it out. It's like, hey, everything checking off all the things there should be fish here and yeah the puzzle of it keeps it interesting yeah it does that's man well i know what i'm gonna be dreaming about tonight um <laughs> <laughs> so i gotta go all the way out to big stone for 10 inch bluegills and a six pound average bass and then i gotta go all the way east to get on the big lake i'll well. get you goomy there I don't God. say I said six pound average. Well, I'm just I'll get roasted on yeah, yeah, social yeah. media right. for that one. Don't tell, don't tell people out there. Here's the hard part for me. But there's and some people, big bass and some big bluegills out there for sure. People that listen to this podcast know me well. This this lake I'm on, Pelican, is like my favorite lake for bass fishing. Um are there six pounders in there? We've caught a couple. Like they're not like but there are it, it uh, it's, it's such a fun lake to fish and there's so many fish in there. Like the the average size here is great um and just not that much pressure i love it it's people are probably tired of me talking about it but it's hard for me to leave <laughs> this lake if i want to go fishing and especially now that i'm right here it's like why why would i drive away from this lake to go fish for bass anywhere else it's silly there's both large and smallmouth in it it's it's phenomenal um but i yeah i need to try that lake trout thing i kind of want to get into um there's some smaller trout lakes around here uh ice fishing now that I'm in this area, just like start ice fishing for it. I think that season opens up January fifteenth. I think. The, yeah, I've the, I've only done done ice fishing for Lakers once. Never and, done. Uh, it. Never. This is a be a brand new thing for me. Yeah, I, I didn't know much about when I about it when I did it, and I went to a bait shop in Ely, Minnesota, and uh, went in there, and there's a lady working, a nice lady, and I said, "Hey, where where can I go to get a couple lake trout? I want to try this," and she goes. Well, my husband's the guy to ask, but he's gone right now. I'm like, oh, okay. She goes, well, a lot of people buy this for bait, so I think I bought a scoop of big rainbows or something like that. Drove over to Burntside, which is only a couple miles away from there. Really had no idea where to go, where to start, you know, and she didn't have much much info for me on that. And um, so I drove out on the lake, and as I'm driving out on the lake, I kind of pull up to, like, the first point out of the access, and there's this old boy sitting on a bucket in the middle of the lake by his truck, jigging, smoking camel straights. And I, I, I drove <laughs> right up to ask. him. I'm like, he's either going <laughs> to hate me or he's going to give me the full plan here. And I walked up and I'm like, hey, you know, I've never done this before. Where do I go? 
he gave me the whole setup. He's like, go right over there. He goes, you know, pull out your jigging rod, do what I'm doing here as far as jigging. He goes, put out your tip up. He goes, you'll catch both your fish on the tip up. Probably won't get anything jigging. I'm like, okay. So I went over, put my tip up out, um, jigged all day, caught my two fish on the tip up, got nothing on the jig rod. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the guys, man. They they yeah, they don't. He knew what he was doing. No frills, but man, they usually have them dialed in for sure. Yeah, I was gonna guess that probably went to Burnside. That's a pretty popular lake. Easy access. It's big. I think that's you know it's got a pretty good reputation. Uh, but that's that kind of. I'm looking forward to kind of experimenting with that, and uh, more than likely be I'll rocking solo so if it's a bust I'm, there's only one person that's going to be disappointed in how the day goes so <laughs> that, that, that makes it a little bit easier uh do you do do you do any hunting at all or? man I, not anymore um i used to live for the late season diver hunting i i really enjoyed that when i was young but you know you, you get busy with the guiding and that sort of thing yeah. for fishing and i just say I, I don't do it anymore do you see any uh, big rafts of ducks out on the big lake when you're doing chasing Lakers? Uh, yeah, actually, I do. Um, it, it, the, 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 that's really interesting that you ask that because there are some sea ducks out there. Yeah, and I'm not really great with my identification of sea ducks. I'm good with telling the puddlers and divers mm-hmm. that sort of thing, but these ones are definitely unique. And I think uh, some of them, I don't know if. It, I, I want to say some of them are scoters. Yep, you're going to have some scoters. You're going to have long tails out there too. And I, yep, that was the other name I was looking for was long tail ducks. Um, I think those are the two that I see. Yeah. And I know there's a few different kind of scoters. I don't know which is which, but they just look dark and kind of butterbally to me. And I'm like, hey, I'm pretty sure I've seen a picture of a scoter in a book, and I bet that's a scoter. Yeah, and they're the long tail be... ducks. They really stand out. Oh, I mean, they're man, they're they unique. Cool. Yeah, they, yeah, they are. Just... And it's about the only way to really get them. I mean, every now and again, some lucky hunter gets one in a rando spot, like interior Minnesota, but that thing's lost. Um, and they do, they kind of fly, you know, they, they'll they winter on the, the the Great Lakes as long as they stay open. And they just yep, kind of keep moving along as they have to. You'll um, see them all over out there. It's, it's... <laughs> If a guy had a layout boat, some decoys, and yeah, like free pass, like, you know, do it, you could have some pretty pretty good fun. Yeah, and that's the same thing, going back to that weather, right? Like, you, like, you need layout boats, you're going to need a tender boat, and then what if the wow. what if it gets real sketchy? Like, it's, just, it's so gear heavy. Like, it's just not something you're just going to try on a whim, you know? No, um, no, not at all. I'd probably just try to hunt them right out of a regular fishing boat. I mean, they're divers. They, I mean, from what I understand with sea ducks is – they're not that wary a lot of times. Yeah. I know I've seen I've seen duck hunting shows on the West Coast, uh, Oregon and Washington, where they're literally like they're just in big boats and it's the guy like they have like bright red snowmobile suit on to keep warm and they're shooting these <laughs> they're shooting these scoters over <laughs> over decoys. Hunting out of their deadliest catch must pretty much pretty much. Like they don't <laughs> seem to really care. You know, oddly enough, this past weekend I, I Coming back up, I took a drive. I just felt like it's like I dipped off and I took like the North Shore up, took the long way back to here and went to two harbors up around um, Split Rock, you know, went up that way and pulled into this uh, boat ramp harbor thing, big break wall there. There actually was, there was three, three ducks out there in that little bay and they were black as night and big and diving. So I assume they're scoters of some sort. The two species I know that we have, we have blacks and uh, white wing scoters. That's what we got. So, yeah. And I just, I don't know that much, uh, that much more about them. I know there's a few different kinds and I know that some of them exist up there and I've seen them. I'm just not sure which ones I'm seeing. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd go up there fishing and I'll, I'll be looking around, <laughs> especially <laughs> for trolling. I'll be like, mm, can, is, is, is it, I think it's legal. I don't know. You're no, it's not because you'd be trolling the motor, be engaged. I was like, I can have just have a shotgun right here, just in case one yeah. flies by. But no, I guess that would technically. I, I think be the illegal. whole national park thing. They might. Well, there's that too. too. Although I don't know, is that only on land, or is there? A, I wonder if there's a buffer zone around. There's there's a big gray area. They call the national park four miles off of any shoreline, okay. so all the islands are considered national park too. Okay. So it's got to be four miles off of any of the islands, any of that area. 
but you start getting into gray water with maritime, you know, water laws and what's actually yeah. national park and what's not. So, you know, maybe it's legal, but you might have a big court case on your hands. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, and there's there going to be a CEO out there anyways. I mean, come on. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not, I'm not saying go break the law, people. Don't, I mean, this is comedy. We're just having, yeah. just having some fun here. I'm not taking it serious. <laughs> oh, my God. So. I don't know. That's that's pretty awesome, dude. Well, I uh, I'm glad I stumbled upon you, and uh, I'll definitely be following your social media. I'm gonna go check out those uh, videos you're talking about with the camera trolling those cameras. Those are kind of cool. I've seen similar yeah, ones I've, like that. I've they're, got they're a bunch fun. of them, but I I know I posted a couple. They're they're out there on I I think TikTok and Facebook have a couple. I I don't remember. I posted a lot of stuff. <laughs> and so right now you're splitting guide time between Malax and Big Stone. In the winter, I do both. Okay. During the summer, okay. I just do Malax exclusively, but in the in the winter, I'll do both. And generally, what I do is Malax in like December and January, and then I'll um, I'll do Big Stone when we get to like the end of more Big Stone when we get to like the end of January, February, and March. Okay, I was gonna ask, like, how does that work? Because they're not exactly close to each other, but that makes sense. Nah. So once this, once the game fish season closes statewide and that's continuous over there that makes sense you can still go over there and keep catching yeah i've I've been i've been taking a couple trips on big stone so far this year which generally i i wait till a little bit later but i've been taking them this year right on oh might as well be as good as time as any to just uh, throw your in contact info out there i'll put a link in the show notes too but yeah so it's my name is ryan kelly and my guide service is Laguna Guide Service, and it's spelled L-A-G-O-O-N-A. And you can find it on Facebook, um, Instagram, um, Twitter. I mean, all of those. It's it's on all of them. <laughs> and um, I've also got a website. It's called fishlaguna.com, and that's where you can find rates and any other info, contact info, all that. So how did you get that? How did you get that name? Well, that's where I that's where I grew up fishing was Laguna beach on big stone lake. Okay. There you go. So I needed a name for the business and I could have called it Ryan Kelly fishing. And I decided to call it Laguna guide service instead. Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of catchy. I just didn't, I didn't know where it was, where I figured it kind of came from something like that. Some sort of geographical. Yeah. A little sentimental. Yeah. Yeah. No, (laughs) that's cool. Uh, well, Ryan, this was awesome, dude. I appreciate it. And, uh, I'll be I'll be following along, and uh, I'm telling you, if, if 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 you want to do that trip and you're bored and you somebody doesn't want to join you, <laughs> well, we we might have to figure something out this fall, dude. <laughs> yeah, I could easily be talked into it. I'm actually not that far. I don't think I'm that terribly far from Grand Portage. I don't think there's a quick way to get there because I got to go around the Boundary Waters. But yeah, yeah, you're. You're in an interesting spot there yes. when I looked at the map. Yeah, it's a <laughs> cool area. Yeah, like um, the line from uh, Old Brother Arto. It's a geographical oddity. Two weeks from everywhere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, yep. that's about what it is. It's it's in the middle of nowhere, and uh, it's one of the things I like the most about it, to be honest. It works for me. All right, dude. I'll I'll let you go. I appreciate it, and uh, look forward to talking to you again. Sounds good. Thanks, Dale. Bye. Bye. Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.